when I look at, at, at my time through Stagecoach, but then particularly in the time where I'm in, in, uh, in our startup now, we absolutely did exactly the same thing. We didn't rehearse in front of anybody. We did what we needed to do behind the scenes to build something that when we lifted the lid in it, it rocked. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking to Brian Coburn. Now, when was the last time you met somebody who spent 30 years in the same company? So Brian started at Stagecoach as a 16-year-old trainee. So we talk about how you go from the trainee to being chief technology officer. What changes do you have to make along the way? What jobs do you get that allow you to go from 16-year-old trainee to chief technology officer at a multi-billion pound turnover global business like Stagecoach. So we talk about that and we talk about how you get there without going to university. What, you know, the, the, really what does the school of hard knocks look like? What does it teach you along the way? And Brian's inspiration is interesting because Brian spent his youth in a band and so we talk about the lessons that are to be learned from being in a band that he applied to his time at Stagecoach. And then now having been at the top, a group role, technology in charge of technology globally, he went from that to a startup and how that's different and what that change has looked like. And then, you know, what's it, what does it mean to be the CEO of a startup at Bridge? who are looking to create a platform for e-commerce companies. So a fantastic conversation. Some great insights from Brian. I really enjoyed talking to him. I'm sure you will too. I'm Brian Coburn. I'm the CEO of Bridge, a payments orchestration platform that was launched into the market this year. Before joining Bridge, I was at Stagecoach Group, the UK-based public transport provider for 30 years starting out as a fresh-faced 16-year-old trainee and moving up to CIO of the group over my career there. 30 years in one company. What You didn't want to just hang on and get the gold watch and then go and, I don't know, become a gardener or a sailor or a golfer? Or... Well, I do play golf, to be fair, but that's a <laughs> rock star career than, uh, than, than, than anything else. But, yeah, it's... One of the fantastic things uh, about my time at Stagecoach, because clearly uh, over 30 years, you have the opportunity to, to learn a lot. They're an entrepreneurial company at heart. 
And so from the earliest days that I had in that in that business, it was really just getting the opportunity to learn, to try new things, to get involved in fantastically interesting projects as the company grew, expanded globally. You know, I'd be, I was in Africa, I was in the Far East, many countries in Europe, North America. You know, so almost every two years, it felt like I was in a new job because there was so much to do and so much going on. Well, look, the take, take us back 30 years ago. When you joined Stagecoach 30 years ago, what was its scope of operations? So when I joined Stagecoach uh, in 1987, effectively it ran buses uh, up and down to London uh, from a number of cities in Scotland, uh, and then it had just deregulation of the of the the bus industry in in the UK started. It was one of Maggie Thatcher's, you know, when she was deregulating the public services. So uh, Stagecoach had literally just almost around the day I joined, bought Hampshire Bus uh, in, in England, the first of the national bus company businesses to be sold off. So I was really in at the, at, at the ground level of the, what became a multi-billion pound global transport powerhouse uh, as it grew through into the, the end of the 2010s. So what were some of the job titles that you had between trainee and groups CIO? <laughs> So uh, I, I started off really, uh, so I, I ran, I was a cashier, I ran the, the, the cash office, uh, I was a trainee uh, bookkeeper and an accountant, I became the, the, the management accountant of Stagecoach Rail, which was the uh, pre National Rail privatisation. Stagecoach had a, a, a little run at, at doing something with British Rail, sort of in the early nineties, you know. And so I was doing all of these things before I even before we even had technology and computers. So I sort of ran through a number of different. I was a pension administrator at one point. I was doing all sorts of all sorts of interesting roles uh, on the journey before I then really got my teeth into the the, the technology side of things. And what was your first technology job within the group then? So literally, I I had the first computer uh, that (laughs) (laughs) definitely, I'm definitely showing my age now when I talk about that. But yeah, so uh, really it was just starting to understand how networks were something that could be used to to help, particularly on the finance side of things, uh, improve uh, the processes and uh, maybe save some costs in different areas. So it was a sort of bog standard system admin type type role that I started out on on my team. But it's but it's fascinating. These uh, so you know there you were, and you were the guy at stagecoach, stagecoach who had the first computer. So you know you're on the cusp of the wave, and you rode that all the way up. I, it's funny because as you were talking, I was thinking Bill Gates went to a particular school, and he happened to go to a school that had a computer. And if he hadn't got, you know, if he'd gone to hundreds or thousands of other schools that didn't have computers, he wouldn't have learned to code when he did. And he would, you know, but you know, like, I'm just drawing that parallel between your career and Bill Gates. Yeah, for you. probably but there's other parallels that that would have been nicer to be able to draw. But right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what's the? Uh, if you look back, then what's the? You know, impact the technology at Stagecoach. What are some of the? 
what were some of the highlights? So I think one of the, the, the great things about Stagecoach and that entrepreneurial spirit is that they really wanted to grab on to whatever gave them an advantage, a competitive advantage. So, you know, over the time, it's fair to say that uh, from it being a, a, a completely cash over the counter type business, uh, by the time I left, Pretty much, I think you couldn't buy a ticket for any of Stagecoach's services that didn't sit on a technology platform that sat under uh, my team. So really, yeah. there was there was that huge huge adoption. You know, some of the the early stuff, not necessarily in the early days of the internet, but things like when Stagecoach started at Megabus.com, that was literally online only. You know, no cash over the counter, and for a traditional business which accepts cash from people that walk on to get a seat on the bus. That's, that is actually quite a sort of revolutionary, a revolutionary approach. And that's to try and experiment with taking out the cost of the cash handling side of things. So how do you start to make the, 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 the customer experience better? How do you start to de-anonymize that cash-based relationship that you have with the customer and start to take on a digital relationship with them, which is absolutely, you start to know your customer, you start to understand them. So watching Stagecoach, because cash is great in the early days, that's brilliant. That's cash in the bank, you know, first thing the next morning. That's great. That's the lifeblood of any business. But seeing that approach to say that let's let's learn more about our customer. Let's start to adopt the digital age before really the digital age was something that everybody wanted to to, to get involved in. So, because as you were talking about competitive advantage, I wondered whether you were thinking about uh, cost or whether it was sort of whether you were thinking about revenue opportunities. And I guess the move from cash to digital saved you some money, but the move to digital allowed you to target customers and drive drive revenue more efficiently than your competitors. So uh, I would say that at all times, you've got an eye on both sides of, of, of the uh of the equation and that you absolutely want to try and be as efficient and effective as possible and look to, to drive cost out wherever you can because that is straight to the bottom line. But absolutely, revenue generation and the opportunity to do more with customers to see how their what services work for them and to have that greater level of engagement is, is essential. Over the time you were running IT, were there sh- technology shifts that you that you missed or you were you didn't you, you look back in hindsight and you go ah we weren't we weren't as quick as we could be did any of your competitors grab a march on you so i would say that there's always swings and roundabouts and particularly in relatively close sectors where you know some people take a lead in a certain area and others uh, will, will follow and then vice versa. So I think we were very fortunate that some of the timings of, of projects that we had, uh, so I was involved in all parts of Stagecoach globally, including uh, when they were working on uh, the rail side of things in the UK. Uh, and some of the, you know, we, we got into virtualization and then sort of the, it's a sort of precursor to, to, to cloud computing, but certainly that original uh, wave of technology around virtualization, we got into that really early in the mid-2000s uh, as part and parcel of a project that we had to do there. So, these, these, you know, we did have the opportunity to do sort of 
greenfield stuff. And really, greenfield is where you, you, you can then say, well, what's out there? What's the latest? And how do we make sure that, that, that we use that to our best advantage rather than the challenge of polishing or putting uh-huh. a digital sheen across something that is actually, you know, a, a legacy platform? When you started at Stagecoach then, what did you think your career was going to look like? So if I'm really truthful, I would say that uh, my career at Stagecoach uh, was there to fund another activity that I was uh, really interested in, which, which was the, the, the decision that I'd made that I was indeed going to uh, be a rock star. Uh, so, you know, that didn't work out quite the way that I'd wanted it to do over the period. But yeah, for, for, you know, I turned up to my uh, interview at Stagecoach in uh, an ACDC t-shirt and a pair of jeans because I got interviewed on a Saturday uh, by actually Sir Brian Souter and Dayman Glog. Uh, they interviewed me themselves. That shows you how small the company was. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I was going. I was going to, to to jam and hang out later, so I was dressed for for that. Uh, but luckily, when I got there, uh, I seen that I was, you know, not quite the best dressed in the room. But certainly, I wasn't. Uh, I, I wasn't the worst. So uh, I was. I was quite happy that uh, I'd found somewhere that had a bit of that rock and roll pirate mentality uh, at the earliest days. And so you, it was a, were you an ACDC knockoff band or were you a, or a tribute? No, you did your own, but it was heavy metal. So yeah, it was, it was hard rock, heavy metal. Uh, but I think one of the things that was interesting, we from the, the, the outset wanted to, to write our own material. So, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty serious, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to be big rock stars. So yeah, uh, well, we, we took sort of elements of probably, faster and more furious than, than, than ACDC ever were. So uh, it was in the late 80s, so probably uh, Metallica, but also a bit of sort of older punk type stuff, punky metal band. So very, 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 very loud. So, yeah. And, how, and how, long, how long did your star burn for? <laughs> Too long. <laughs> um, I we, we we kept going to towards the the uh, the the late nineties, uh, but unfortunately, our our, our singer uh, got involved in a, a very bad motorcycle accident, which left him with life changing uh, disabilities. And so we decided at that point uh, that 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 we would uh, that we would knock it on the head. Uh, so yeah, what was the band called? Uh, it, it was. So it was called Detox Latterly. Uh, we did right. start with a different name, but D- Detox probably was was quite an apt name for some of the members in the, in the band. <laughs> and you were saying to me before we were recording that you, you think lots of your business skills you can you can look back to those days in a band and think that's where you learnt you learnt learnt what you later put to work at Stagecoach. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and and now into to, to bridge as well, you know, and and some of them are are things like you know you've uh, you've got to get it right before you get on stage, you know. So in the band, we weren't a covers band. We we wrote our own songs. We rehearsed them furiously until we were really tight. 
before we even played our first gig. We didn't rehearse in front of, 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 of our audience. So when we came out, we were instantly the best band in the area by some margin. Everybody else was still rehearsing cover versions in front of groups of friends. We came out and within the first two gigs, we had people queuing around the block to see us because we were just so much better than everybody else. You know, and when I look at, at, at my time through Stagecoach, but then particularly in the time where I'm in, in, uh, in a startup now, we absolutely did exactly the same thing. We didn't rehearse in front of anybody. We did what we needed to do behind the scenes to build something that when we lifted the lid in it, it rocked from the get-go. And you're thinking there about Bridge. So what does, what does, bridge, what does bridge do? So Bridge is a payment orchestration platform that, that, that sits into uh, the digital retailing channels of, a, of an organisation and gives them a, a greater level of flexibility, agility and control in how they integrate and consume uh, third-party payment-related services, be it processing, acquiring, fraud, etc. Uh, and, and it allows you... To, uh, to, to use the platform to intelligently route your payment transactions uh, around those services. And so what you integrate once with you and then you plug into everything else. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that single integration onto our platform allows really uh, a, a bit of a, a strategic view uh, to be taken over payments. Right? Typically, they're, they're, they're kind of done tactically. You know, everybody has digital transformation projects. Uh, they tend to be quite siloed. Everybody focuses on the 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 sort of the sexier side of it, the UX. You know, getting the 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 customer to put something into a basket to go ahead and pay for it, but not so much time and energy is to is to put into the payments, which is you know a hygiene factor. Most people see it as that that happens at the end of the journey. It's necessary and it's important but it's kind of hygiene, so it's, it tends to have been t- done tactically. So with using uh, a payments orchestration service like Bridge, if we're the ones that are uh, inside the retailing channel and being that integration point, you can start to, to look at things a little bit more holistically. For the finance guy, you can start to gain some commercial leverage. You know, For the digital people or the CEO, you can start to uh, leverage opportunity uh, move yourself into markets that you maybe couldn't quite easily move into before because you're removing the, the, the cost and risk of change. And so why, well, two questions really. Uh, why a startup and why this? <laughs> <laughs> why why has this now become your, your life's mission to solve this problem? Uh, the, the, this, this is the next best thing to being a rock and roll star as far as working in a startup absolutely you know th- oh, this, this is like going back to being in the band you know so I've got a small team around me this is like a, you know a close knit bunch of, of people who are all sharing the same vision the same objectives the same drive and desire just like it was back in the day when I was doing that in the band, you know, and that, that, that that's, it's so important that, that and I guess it's another uh, of those 
things I learned from being from being in the band is that it is all about the people and it is all about ensuring that everybody's pulling in the right direction, that everybody does indeed share that vision. And that means that you've got to communicate, you've got to talk to everybody, you've got to trust. Everybody needs to trust each other and you've got to trust that you'll do the right thing for the business in the same way as we, when we were in the band, everybody was pulling for, for, for the band. And so um, did you, were you missing that at the tail end of your career at Stagecoach? Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I had an absolutely fantastic career at Stagecoach and a, I, I loved every minute of it there. But yeah, uh, you, you get to a point when you look at it and you say, you know, there, there's probably more that I can get involved in. Uh, and there is a lot of learnings that you've had over the period. So, you know, let's jump out that corporate aircraft, hurtle towards the ground, and hope that the parachute opens and, and, and the, you have the opportunity to, to experience that rush. And absolutely. So, yeah, the, there was something that, that there was unfinished business that, that, that I had that I wanted to go out and, and, and do. But how did you end up with this as the the problem that you wanted to solve? So I didn't jump out of the plane completely without a parachute on my back. So I was very fortunate that uh, Damon Glog, one of the, the, the co-founders of Stagecoach, had invested in a business and was looking for somebody to, to, to come on board, join forces with her, and uh, look at, at sort of realigning the, the 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 business it's core offering and the direction it was taking. So you know there was it was a bit of stars and planets aligning, uh, and really just it, it came up at the right time uh, and gave me that opportunity to, to 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 take the leap out of the corporate plane. And what's what's the best thing about you know thinking about bridge versus stagecoach? What Monday morning? What are you looking forward to on a Monday morning that you weren't before? Just the opportunity, yeah. the opportunity to have interesting discussions with interesting people, to look to try and understand what can make a difference either within our business or within other businesses. And it's just that interaction at that level that, that is, is just so, so unique. When you're in a large corporate, you don't necessarily get that opportunity, you know, I spent a lot of my time in the latter uh, stages of the stagecoach. You know, I seem to be end, part lawyer, you know, negotiating endless contracts and whatever else, and still part accountant because I was running a, a large, you know, uh, budget for, for the business globally. So, you know, you were maybe just mi- missing a little bit of the cut and the thrust, and that's what you get every day different. What scares you about? Not having enough time. You know, I, I, I would say uh, I just there is there is so much that you want to do, so many conversations that you want to have, so much opportunity that you want to try and move forward. And it's literally just wanting to have more, more time. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, what is it you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? That's quite that's quite a difficult one because I, I tend to not necessarily look back an awful lot at, at where where I was. What I would say is that uh, 
I probably would have liked to have done this maybe a little bit earlier. But by the same token, I think that you know, with every every month and year that passed, that, that I hadn't I hadn't uh, done this, I was still learning. I was still gaining more uh, experience and, and, and opportunity. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think it's for me if there is an opportunity go out, grab it, get on with it, you know, uh, and, and and that's maybe the the one thing that uh, I would have liked to thought about earlier. Okay. Um, and Brian, um, we were chatting before, so I know you don't have a long list of business books to recommend, but you, so your, your career has been one of experiential learning. What, um, what tips do you have for people? You know, you, there must be challenges that you, are faced with which you haven't solved before how do you how do you go about solving those or acquiring knowledge for you or the team so i think the the although you're right i haven't necessarily spent a a, a lot of time uh, reading about how others have done it having had the opportunity to watch entrepreneurs at work for so much of my my career really the key for me is to trust your gut trust your instincts you know people look them in the eye and make decisions you know so don't be afraid to make a decision you've just got to you've got to do what you can make the best decision with with the knowledge that you've got in front of you and just see what happens. You know, if it doesn't work out, don't be afraid to make the next decision. You can't be afraid of change. You know, all of these things which you see, you know, paralysis within larger organisations. Stagecoach was quite fortunate for a lot of the time that I was there, particularly in the technology function, you know, we were really just forging our own path. You know, and that, that's it for that's it for me. Just make the decision, trust your gut, see what happens, give it a go. And there isn't necessarily a wrong decision. You just need to make another decision potentially very quickly. And what do you what do you like at hiring? Oh yes, well, uh, I've done a lot of that. Interestingly, Stagecoach had you know in its bus division at one point thirty thousand employees and two HR people. So we didn't rely on HR for our hirings and our firings. We did it ourselves. I'm not a tick box question answer, you know, uh, uh, that's not my style of interview. Skills can be taught. Passion, drive, desire, all of that is either in the person's eyes or it's not in the person's eyes. So when I'm hiring, that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who will strap themselves next to me in this rocket ship and go in the journey that I'm on. And that's that's what we're for. Everything else can, can can be taught. So it's definitely everything is about people. You know, be it at the largest side of the corporate or whether it's in the small team, uh, it's it's just about your 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 your, uh, your compatriots. Does that mean you look for different things on a CV, or you ask different questions in an interview? Do you think looking for that passion? Yeah, absolutely. And you will try certain different tactics as well to try and you know it's got to be a conversation i don't have a script and what i'm looking for is what motivates and drives people and i don't need to the you know i would never ask the question about what makes why this company why would you join this company 
that's that's not necessarily, you know, it's like the old cliched, what do you know about us and all the rest of it. I'm just really looking for people who are up for change, up for experience, happy to work hard to 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 gain uh, to gain the rewards, to gain the experience. So it's very much just conversational and getting under the skin and getting to know the person. Culturally, they've got to fit. It would be so unfair of for somebody to join, particularly if they've left another job. And I, this is not just at the startup. I, I did this at Stagecoach as well. I would not ask anybody to join the team unless I felt culturally it would work, as well as technically or whatever other yeah, skill. Yeah. And what, uh, wh- how, would you, how would you go about finding that out? It's, it's quite challenging, uh, but it is really about understanding what motivates and drives people. What, what are their own, you know, what gets them out of bed in the morning? What are they looking for? And you have to accept that you may just be a stepping stone for somebody who's on a journey to elsewhere, and that's absolutely fine, as long as they're the right person right now. So really, it's just, it genuinely is a, a very personal discussion about what they're looking for, what we're looking for, and whether there's a fit and a mesh for a period of time. So what's your sort of take on that sort of, um, I guess, tour of duty? How long does somebody have to stay with you for them to, to have been a worthwhile hire, do you think? A day. <laughs> Genuinely, uh, I don't. I, I I don't judge people, unlike myself, who obviously spent thirty years in the same place. I'm actually the, the the opposite of that. As long as they arrive and they add value, I'm very happy that they're on the team. As long as I don't see any signs of them being a drag anchor and pulling back. Uh, or, or, or holding the team back, that's all I'm looking for. And if I see signs of that from day one, brilliant, brilliant. That's, that's, that's all I'm looking for. You don't need to be 10 years in for me to, to, to think you're, you're, you're adding value. And what do you think about probation periods? What's the, how quickly do you decide that you've made the wrong decision? So I think that is probably, particularly in a smaller organisation, one of the challenges and what you don't want to be seen is obviously just pulling people in and firing them a week later. So, you know, so you've got to, you've got to have a balance. You've got to give people a fair crack at the whip. So we do run uh, probation periods, but really I still view them as a, as a sort of a two way street. They've got to feel that they're comfortable with us as much as we feel that they're comfortable about them. But, Ultimately, if the sticking plaster needs to get ripped off, do it quickly, do it uh, professionally, and, and, and everybody can move on. And do you have any advice on, on how to do that well? I, I, you know, you said you'd hire a lot of people. I guess you probably said goodbye to a fair few people as well. What does, what does good look like for you? Quick. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can have empathy to the situation, but really at the end of the day, it's not a long conversation. Too many people who are pulling the trigger on somebody wants to give all the excuses under the sun and wants to justify and the guy on the other end of the, the, the on the receiving end of it is not interested in that. Clearly, it's, it's going to impact them. It's going to affect them. So it's not a long drawn out process. Do it quickly. 
do it quickly and do it professionally and don't bring wherever possible any personal elements of it into it and you know be prepared you don't know what the reaction is going to be on the other side of the table so for for me it's a short sharp delivery and then if there's a desire to to discuss further fine but if there's not shake hands fab what what uh, what did you do in the band what was your role in the band uh, I was uh, a guitar player, lead guitarist, so uh, I, I did and like... backing vocals? <laughs> I, I, would, I would occasionally grunt and or swear in the direction of a microphone. Uh, in, uh, so, But no, I, I was no real singer back in the day. And did you... Uh, were you one of the songwriters? Yes. So, so you know, that, that was something, and it's, a, again, a bit like the... the, the parallels to, to the business so we absolutely from the outset wanted to, to write our own material it's our IP you know that's what we were developing that's a, our product so we myself and the other guitar player a guy called Scott Leyland uh, spent many 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 hours deliberating and uh, pouring over riffs and how to you know how we were constructing our songs and tearing them up and putting them back together in different different ways and most importantly we uh, we we wouldn't suffer anything that was second rate uh we probably bend 20 times or more the the songs than the ones that we kept uh-huh. and so is that that i guess that you must have taken You've taken that similar approach all the way through your career. Yeah. So it, again, it's that get it right. You know, do do all your, your your rehearsing behind closed doors. Make sure that what you bring out is absolutely the best thing that you can, and then go out and find people who are going to appreciate it, and then share it with them. So that's absolutely it, and that's either in the band or internally within Stagecoach or now. Uh, to 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 the customers at, at, at Bridge, and uh, do you still play? I have I have a few guitars, uh, but <laughs> unfortunately, I've actually got one of them behind me right now. But uh, but actually, just time. I, I really wish I. I, I, I could. Brian, uh, thank you very much indeed for taking us a canter through your career and uh, pulling out the the similarities between being in a rock band and and being heading up a startup. That's fantastic. Thank you very much for being on the show today. And thanks very much for having me on today. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.